If you have a Bible, you can take it and turn to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew 5, and we will be looking just at the one verse, one beatitude, um, the seventh one, if I'm counting correctly. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. In recent weeks, we've been walking through these, uh, as we've counted them, nine statements of Jesus that speak to what it means to flourish in his kingdom and to know the blessedness of being members of God's kingdom through faith in Jesus. These beatitudes reveal um, who we are as children of God and where deep and lasting joy and happiness are found. Joy and happiness uh, in a world that holds out promises of joy and satisfaction at every turn. It's really good to come to Matthew chapter five, the first words of the Sermon on the Mount, and to hear Jesus tell exactly Tell us exactly what will satisfy the deepest longings of our hearts and souls. Jesus knows what will make us happy, and he has revealed it to us. These are not cheap imitations. They are not destructive prescriptions for joy that will just leave us empty. Rather, if we seek to live into these statements, if we seek to find them in Jesus and seek to yield to God's spirit and allow him to work out these character traits in us, then we will know what it means to flourish and to find happiness now and for all eternity. We said that these nine Beatitudes are each a surprising description of the flourishing life that we are called to live as members of God's kingdom. And as we have studied them, we've started to see a little bit of structure within them. Uh, there are The ninth one serves sort of as an, sort of as an emphasis of, of sorts. And so those first eight, we kind of see two sets of four, The first four awaken in us the necessity of living in a place of constant dependence on God. So we see our poverty of spirit. We we mourn over our sin. Uh, we We are humbled. And then we are led to hunger and thirst for the righteousness that only God can give us. And then from these internal longings, we begin to see the principles and the righteousness of of God's kingdom start to work itself out in us. We see the joy of being merciful. We see the gift of a, of a pure, undivided heart of devotion to God. And today we're called to allow God, God's spirit to work in us the heart of a peacemaker. And so I want us to read these Beatitudes uh, together as we strive to commit them to memory. If you were here early, you got to take the test. If not, you can do it later, but we filled in some of the blanks, but the, all the blanks are here. Okay, so let's read this together, Matthew 5, verses 1 through 12. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you 
and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Read this one more time. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. What comes to your mind when you hear the word peace? Maybe you get an image of someone from the 60s in bell-bottom jeans and a flowery shirt holding a peace sign. Or maybe you get a picture of a, of a snow-white dove that represents peace. Or maybe you envision something like a, a quiet lake that the, the sun is just rising and there's kind of a mist over it and there's trees surrounding it and everything is peaceful. Kids, maybe as you listen to this first part of the message, you could draw what comes to your mind when you hear the word peace. The, the lake scene, I think, is what comes to my mind. Uh, it's that, that, that picture of tranquility and quiet. And there's, there's part of, of peace that is tranquility and quiet. Peace is the opposite of noise. Peace is also the opposite of conflict and war. But the, the peace of a, of a quiet lake is different from the peace that comes at the end of a war. When a war is over, there's, there's quiet, the gunfire ceases, but there's also shouts of joy. There are parades in the streets. When I think about a war coming to an end, when we think about a war coming to an end, we can begin to understand why Jesus would say that peace and peacemaking bring happiness and, and joy. We were in Washington, D.C. a couple weeks ago. We were at the Smithsonian Museum of American History, and I was struck by, by this photo. This is a, a picture of Broad Street in Philadelphia on November 11th, 1918. You know what that is? That was Armistice Day. That was the end of, of World War I, which we celebrate now as Veterans Day. It was the day that marked the end of World War I, and after four years and over eight and a half million casualties, the Great War, as it was called, the war to end all wars, was over. Peace had come. But you probably wouldn't call this a scene of peace, is it? By the way, that's not the real Statue of Liberty, in case you were curious. That's just a reproduction. But I, can't, I tried to find the, the caption, but whatever it was, they essentially shouted for hours on end, just screaming in the streets because this... This war was over. And this picture from Philadelphia just represents one of countless celebrations that were happening all around the world because the war was over, because there is peace and there is great joy and happiness when peace comes. If peace is the end of, a, of war of any kind, then we could say that, that peace assumes that there was a, a prior presence of noise and disorder and conflict, things that, that mark our, our fallen world. Peace is what comes after war. Peace is the ending of, of fighting and of strife. Peace is a, a break sometimes just in the racket and the craziness of life. Uh, peace is what happens, no offense to my children, peace is what happens when you say, kids, go outside. And they go outside for a little bit and it's, it's quiet. It's what happens when you turn the TV off at the end of the night. 
It's what happens when the neighbor's dog stops barking at 3 a.m. There's finally peace. But peace has more to do with, than, it, it, there's more to peace than just the, the lack of conflict or the, or the lack of, of noise. Peace in the New Testament has its roots in the Hebrew word shalom uh, in, in the Old Testament. It's a word that carries this idea of, of restitution between warring parties. The peace that a treaty would bring but also the peace that offerings and sacrifices offered in the temple would bring. Key biblical ideas like atonement and reconciliation are bound up in shalom, in peace. It speaks of a time when there was formerly separation, and now there is, there's unity and there's union. Shalom holds this idea of peaceful relationships in general. Shalom has to do with well-being, with prosperity, not just materially or financially, but just the sense of things being well and good. Shalom sort of looks back to Eden and looks forward to the perfection of the coming kingdom. That's what peace is. And so it makes sense that Jesus would say that in his kingdom, those who are blessed, those who flourish, those who are happy, are the ones who walk in his ways and seek to bring that kind of peace into this world. In fact, what we find here is that peacemaking is so core to what it means to be a follower of Jesus that Jesus ties it to our essential New Testament identity as children of God. <clears throat> Excuse me. So if Satan is the father of lies, then all of his children are liars. But Jesus is the prince of peace. And so all of Jesus' brothers and sisters, all of God's children are peacemakers. I find that interesting because there's so many things that, that we might do or that we might be that would reveal that we are children of God, that, that show who our Father is. But Jesus has chosen peacemaking as the thing that ties us directly to the Father, that shows that we are children of God. Blessed are the peacemakers because they will be called sons of God. With all that in mind, let me give you a big idea. The big idea could just be blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of God, but I'll give you a, a shot at one. It's this, the hard work of peacemaking makes us happy and marks us as children of God. The hard work of peacemaking makes us happy and marks us as children of God. I'll tip my hand a little bit. When I say the hard work of peacemaking, I'm not just talking about your hard work. I'm talking about the work that God has done in Christ to bring us and make us at peace with God. But it also is hard work for us to continue that. So anyways, we've talked a little bit about peace. So let's think more specifically about what Jesus says is blessed. He doesn't say blessed are the peaceful. He says blessed are the peacemakers. Let's, we'll begin by the way we ha often have. Let's talk about what it's not. And then we'll talk about what it is. And then we'll talk about the specific blessing that comes, namely being called children of God. So first, what peacemaking is not. What peacemaking is not. Trevor pointed out to me this past week on Tuesday night at coffee that Jesus is talking about peacemaking, not peacekeeping. I thought that was a good thought to have. Uh, peacekeeping could be a very positive thing, just keeping the peace. But in the negative sense, peacekeeping could mean appeasement. It could mean seeking peace at any cost. Yes, in, in peace, uh, 
making, there are going to be humble concessions, but there will not be fake and disingenuous compromises just to say that peace has been made. That's the, that kind of peace is, is false. That's a false peace. It's a fake peace. It reminds me of Jeremiah 6.14. Jeremiah writes of the false prophets. He says, they dress the wound of my people as though it were not serious. Peace, peace, they say, when there is no peace. At times we like to create the appearance of peace, but we know that under the surface there is division and war. The smiles are fake. We shake hands with our right hand and we cross the fingers of our left hand. The end of World War I that was celebrated on Armistice Day that's, that's pictured here did not come with a full surrender on either side. One article I read said that for both sides, an armistice was the fastest way to end the war's misery and carnage. By November 1918, both the Allies and Central Powers, who'd been battering each other for four years, were pretty much out of gas. And so they just said, we have to stop this. Uh, and in fact, the, the way that this peace was made and the harsh conditions that were placed on Germany, many people say paved the way for World War II to open up 20 years later. Appeasement had been accomplished, but there wasn't peace. I think we can all relate to that, can't we? Sometimes conflict is so difficult that we'll do anything to stop it. And we think we're making peace, but we're actually just saying, let's just call a truce for a little bit. I think the, de the desire for peace is good, but it can lead to compromise. It can lead to concessions. And the kind of peacemaking that Jesus calls us to, the kind of peacemaking that brings happiness and flourishing doesn't lead to compromise. It doesn't lead to doctrinal compromise. It doesn't lead to laying down biblical convictions. Peace should not come at the expense of truth. The gospel causes divisions. Jesus is the Prince of Peace, but even he said that he didn't come to bring peace. Jesus literally says, I did not come to bring peace, but rather what? A sword. He brings division. The gospel brings division at our most basic human relationships if we trust him. So peacemaking doesn't pretend that the offense of the gospel doesn't exist. It doesn't compromise on the, the truth. So don't hear that. True peacemaking also doesn't fail to deal with the real issues at hand. Contrary to the false prophets of Jeremiah, we have to treat the wound seriously. A broken arm needs more than a band-aid. You need to deal with the deeper issue, not just the, the surface scratches. And true peace is more than a, a bandage on surface wounds. True peacemaking does the hard work of setting the bone and allowing it time to heal and then following it up with physical therapy. I wanted to put that in there for our physical therapists because you have to do the physical therapy, right? It takes time. It takes effort. True peacemaking gets to the heart of the division and the disagreement, and it strives to bring reconciliation. Excuse me. <coughs> My throat is dry. So peacemaking gets to the heart of division and disagreement and strives to bring reconciliation. As I think about peacekeeping, the picture that comes to my mind is taking something that's broken and trying to tape it and glue it back together. Um, 
and it just doesn't work. But peacemaking is creative, meaning that, that we're called to make peace where there is no peace. I could be pushing this a little bit, so feel free to disagree with me, but I think that peacemaking in some ways that we are to be, we're to do what God did at creation, where he made something out of nothing. That peacemaking is a miracle. And so we find that, that peacemaking is a supernatural act that, that finds its source in God, not us. We are part of the process, but God is the one who is making something out of nothing. He's making peace. God alone can create peace. Only God can mend broken friendships and marriages and nations. Only God can heal the brokenness of the world and create peace. So we're starting to talk about what peacemaking is. So we've talked about what peacemaking is not. Let's talk about what peacemaking is. The simplest way I can think of to describe true peacemaking is to say that it is cruciform. Maybe that's a word you're not familiar with. Cruciform. Just meaning that it takes the shape of the cross of Jesus. That an understanding of how the, the cross brings peace is going to show us how to be peacemakers. If we understand what Christ has done on the cross, then we will know how to make peace because that's what he has done. Our God is the great peacemaker and the work of redemption accomplished by the Father, the Son, and the Spirit that finds its epicenter at the crucifixion shows us most clearly what true peacemaking is entails. Not only does it show us what peacemaking look, looks like, but maybe more importantly, it is the fountain. It is the, the source of all true peace. The cross is what brings us peace with God, and it's only because of the cross that any of us can have peace with one another. Regarding peace with God, we read about this. Jake read it in Colossians 1. Some of the key verses in that passage were Colossians 1, 19 and 20. Speaking of Jesus, Paul says, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile, that word uh, having peace at its, at its core, to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven by making peace through the blood of his cross. God in Christ through the cross was reconciling all things to himself. Reconciliation has to do with restoring relationships. Two siblings who fought for years one day seek forgiveness from one another. They are reconciled. A father and a son who haven't spoken in years forgive one another. They are reconciled. And God, who has been estranged from every part of his creation because of sin and the fall, was able to bring reconciliation between him and all things through Jesus and the blood that he shed on the cross. He even made it possible for you to be reconciled to God. All things, including us. And Jesus didn't bring a false peace. He didn't bring a peace that, that didn't deal with the real issues, right? A, a, a peace that compromised on his justice. A peace that failed to reckon with the reality of our sin. Rather, the cross displayed, the, displayed fully just what true peace with God was going to cost in light of our rebellion and sin. It would cost the life of God's son. That's how he had to make peace. Like the sacrifices of the Old Testament that brought reconciliation between God and the sinner, the blood of Jesus, the Lamb of God, appeased the wrath of God and paved the road for us to come back into relationship with the Father through repentance and faith. God's justice was satisfied 
through the death of Jesus and the door to God's kingdom of peace and love was open to all. Because of our sin, we are not children of God or friends of Jesus or filled with the Spirit. Rather, we are estranged from God. We are in a far country rebelling against him. We are his enemy, loving what he hates and hating what he loves. We are at war with God. But in Christ, the Father has made peace possible. Jesus is the great peacemaker. And so Jesus is the most blessed one in this, in this beatitude, isn't he? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called what? Sons of God. And Jesus is truly the Son of God. And he invites us to join him at the Father's table as children of God through faith. So the cross has made it possible for us to have peace with God, but also peace with one another. Paul, talking about the, the grace of God that has saved us, wrote this in Ephesians 2, beginning in verse 11. Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Enemies. You were enemies of God. You were estranged. You had no hope. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were far off, have been brought near. How? By the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. <clears throat> Not only have the Gentiles been brought near to God, but they have been brought near to the Jewish people as well. Those who had formerly been enemies are now united in Christ. And by implication, we find that all people who are reconciled to God through faith in Jesus are also reconciled to one another. division or hostility between you and another person, that is broken down, it's killed, it is destroyed by the cross. We are now united as a, a new humanity. We are called by the same name. We are family. We are blood relatives by the blood of Jesus. And we are united by the same spirit that fills us all. Do you see how central peacemaking and reconciliation is to what it means to be a Christian? To what it means to be a member of God's kingdom? To what it means to be a member of God's family? And so it makes perfect sense that we who know the peace made for us in Christ would be those who make peace wherever and whenever we can. We are peacemakers. And if peacemaking is, finds its root in the gospel and flows from the gospel, then the place that peacemaking ultimately begins is by proclaiming the gospel, by telling others the good news of the gospel. That's the baseline fundamental way to be a peacemaker in God's kingdom. We, as those who have been brought and to God, have been reconciled to God, have been had 
peace made between us and God through Christ. We are compelled to call people to peace with God through faith in Jesus. This is how Paul explains it in 2 Corinthians 5, 16 to 20. He says, From now on, therefore, we, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. You might even be able to say the ministry of peacemaking. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us, entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Evangelism, sharing the gospel, is calling people to be at peace with God. But evangelism and gospel proclamation sometimes feel awkward and hard. We can begin to feel like we're trying to sell someone something that they don't need. I used to hate it when I worked at Starbucks and they wanted me to upsell people. Would you like a piece of lemon pound cake with your venti frappuccino? say, no, they don't. And even if they do, I don't want to tell them that and suggest that because they don't need that. <laughs> the gospel is not an upsell, is it? We can feel like it is, but that's not what it is. It's an appeal. It's a, it's a plea for people to be reconciled to God. The gospel is a call for God's enemies to enter into the life and joy and peace of the kingdom of God. It's an invitation Check this out. It's an invitation to be adopted. We are inviting people, hey, why don't you come be adopted into my family? It's an invitation to adoption by God and a welcome into his family. And apart from us living as peacemakers through announcing the gospel, then those that we know and love and even strangers that we've never met will spend eternity as enemies of God and outcasts from his family. We have to make peace. We have to be peacemakers by announcing the peace that Jesus has made. To share the gospel is joyful and sobering. But our role as peacemakers moves beyond evangelism into personal relationships. Personally, being a peacemaker means that we pursue peace with others in every sphere of our lives. We pursue peace with people. Romans 12, 18 tells us that as much as it depends on us, we are to live at peace with everyone. And then the surrounding context to me is the best description of what being a peacemaker looks like. If you want something to meditate on this evening or tomorrow to reflect on the sermon, I would recommend Romans 12, 14 through 21. I'm going to read it and not be able to say everything that we could about it. But I think this encapsulates what being a peacemaker looks like as as those who have offered our lives to God are filled with the Spirit, we are, according to Romans 12, 14, it says, Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, Live peaceably with all. 
Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That's peacemaking. That's how we live as peacemakers in our relationships. Not surprisingly, that sounds a lot like how Jesus lived and died, doesn't it? And Jesus later says in the Sermon on the Mount that that kind of interpersonal peacemaking is the key to worship. You remember Matthew 5, 23 to 24? He says, if you're offering your gift at the altar and you remember that your brother has something against you, Not that you have something against your brother. Your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Lots we could say about that, but here's what I draw from that. Peacemakers initiate peace. Peacemakers take the hardest step in reconciliation. And you know what the hardest step in reconciliation is? It's the first one. It's to be the first person to seek reconciliation. So we seek to live at peace with others in our lives. We we are peacemakers by announcing the gospel. We are peacemakers by seeking to live at peace with one another. But but we're also peacemakers when we strive to be a mediator. When when we're maybe not involved in the conflict, but we see people who are not at peace and, and we seek like Jesus to be a mediator and to bring peace to bring reconciliation. We're not willing to allow conflict and strife to persist, especially among those who are children of God. We seek to see our brothers and sisters in Christ reconciled, that peace would be made between them. Maybe even that extends out to to churches. When churches are in conflict, we seek reconciliation. We seek to make peace. When we start to think about the division in our world, we can begin to see how hard peacemaking it is, that it really is a miraculous new creation that God is going to have to accomplish, and that it's going to take a lot of blood, sweat, and tears on our part. True peace is difficult. It's costly. The cross shows us that, doesn't it? And if I'm honest, I would say this. I want peace. I don't want to make peace. I just want to have it. I don't want to do the hard work of having to make peace, having to invest time and energy, of having to humble myself, of having to put the effort into relationships to make peace. I don't want to step between two people that are not at peace and try to bring reconciliation. Maybe you're like me. You'd say, I want quiet and rest, and I want the absence of conflict, but I don't want to invest the energy in my marriage or with my kids or in my office, or with my in-laws, or with my neighbors, or with anyone else. One of the ditches on the road to peacemaking that we mentioned is to try to make peace in our own strength apart from the gospel. And, that, and that's going to lead to a false peace, and it's going to lead to deadly compromises. But another one is to pretend that there's peace, to ignore the strife and the conflict, to be afraid of the difficulty of peacemaking, and to never take the steps to make peace. But that's not what peacemakers do. We step into the difficulty. Why in the world would I do that? 
why in the world would I, would I want to be a peacemaker when it sounds so hard? Well, God hates division. Proverbs 6, 16 to 19 tells us there are seven things that God hates. Emphasis is placed on the seventh one, and you know what it is? Those who sow discord among brothers. God hates when people sow discord and cause strife. And as God's children, we're growing, we're growing more and more to share God's heart. Remember, the, the Beatitudes are not be a peacemaker, but rather it's a description of who we as new creations in Christ Jesus are. God is working this in us. It's part of our character. We are peacemakers. We are new creations. We are growing to be those who make peace. And peacemaking is a part of the character of God that is in us and it's going to spill out and reflect his kingdom. And so we will step into the difficulty. And there's blessing that comes with it though, isn't there? That's part of the reason you step into it as well because that's who we've been made to be but also that there's a blessing that comes with it. And as we've hinted at, the blessing associated with this beatitude is being called children of God. Peacemaking is so core to God's character that when we make peace, the blessing we receive is to be called sons and daughters of God. Jesus, as we said, as the son of God, fully embodies this blessing. Jesus knows the blessing of his core identity being found in his relationship with the Father. And he invites us into that blessing. Peacemaking doesn't earn our salvation. It doesn't earn our status as sons and daughters, but it shows that we are living as the sons and daughters of God that he has called us to be. And that that relationship is a place of joy and blessedness because we are peacemakers. I think this also says that being called children of God carries the idea that when we are peacemakers, people will see that we are children of God. The older I get, the more people look at my dad and say, you must be related because you look like him. I took a picture on vacation with me and my sister and we looked at it and said, wow, we've got like the same face because we're related. I feel bad for my children that they're going to look like me, right? But the, the more we walk with Christ, the more we look like him and people will look at us and they'll say, you're someone who makes peace. You must be a child of God because God's the one that makes peace. We start to look like Jesus. How sad is it then that the church in the world is often known as a place of division? That Christians are sometimes seen as divisive? Some of that's just whatever. It's true or it's not true. But some of it is true. What a testimony we could have as God's people in the midst of a culture that is so set on fighting and division. If we sought to model the cross and we sought specifically to be people who make peace and who live at peace with everyone. How could you reflect the beauty of the peacemaking that Christ has accomplished? How could you reflect God's kingdom? Where can you seek peace? Where can you make peace? In your relationships with others, where is their division that you can be the person that takes the first step? Do you know of a, a conflict where you could be the mediator? You could step in and try to create peace by God's grace, by God's strength, 
We can walk in this way. Who do you know that's not at peace with God? Who is God's enemy? Could you come to them and announce the wonder of the gospel and invite them to be at peace with God through faith in Jesus? Peace feels like a dream sometimes. I mean, you look at a picture like this, people just rejoicing and united and there's, there's peace. But the next day it didn't look like this. <laughs> and as I said, 20 years later, there was a, another war. And so as we think about God's kingdom where we are seeking to be peacemakers and announce the peace that Jesus has brought through Christ, we also remember that there's this Within each of these beatitudes, there is a blessing that is now, there is a reality that is now of peace and peacemaking. But ultimately, we're looking for the day when Jesus comes at his final return and peace reigns forever. When we can finally, as we sing, crown him the Lord of peace, whose power a scepter sways from pole to pole that wars may cease and all be prayer and praise. And as we, we await the, the fullness of his kingdom, the feast in his house, the, the shalom of eternal life, then we, we, live as, we live as his children. We know that we have peace with God through Christ. We announce the peace that the gospel brings. And we seek by God's strength through his spirit to be peacemakers in whatever way that we can.